Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, where a positive feeling lasts about as long as the European Super League plans. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Hello, there used to be a guy, hopefully he's still with us, who, who did the Highland League results and scores and roundup on BBC Radio Scotland after the game. And all he used to do, as well as the scores, was to give you some sort of pertinent and um, timely reference to things that were going on at the same time. So you reminded me there of him. Um, I can't even, I'm sure his name will come to me over the next hour or so. Uh, but yeah, hello. And um, yeah, another clean sheet, huh? Brilliant. <laughs> In, indeed. And uh, we are delighted to be joined for a second time by uh, Sky Sports golf commentator, Mr. Ewan Murray. Don't you start. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm good, thank you. I can, I, I can start by helping Mark out. It's, it's Bill McAllister as a man. Oh, you're thinking of. Bill McAllister it is. And he's still, he's still very much with us. And uh, I'm not sure whether his brand of um, linking Highland League results to current affairs maybe wouldn't work in 2021. That might be a... No, it got a bit risky, didn't it? It did, but it was very, very funny. I mean, it was a must-listen must on a Saturday evening. Yes, it was. Anyway, sorry. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Well, you're bored, aren't you? That's why. Yeah. I'm this permanently is, bored. This is much us asking you as you saying, come on, I'm bored. You only <laughs> come on when you're in quarantine, do you not? That's true. There's a, yeah. Last time you were in Turkey. Where are you now? East I, am, I, am, I am finishing, yeah, I am finishing um, post-master's isolation. But that's, I mean, I'm... Delighted to be on, regardless of circumstances. Don't don't diminish the, <laughs> the the privilege of me being on here. And and of course, Ewan is not a Sky Sports golf commentator, but it is the long running joke on Twitter and, and probably further afield that you get lots of abuse aimed at you um, and Murray, the actual Sky Sports golf commentator. Probably doesn't help that you do cover golf for the Guardian, and you do have a picture of a golf ball, I think, as your profile, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's better than a picture of me. <laughs> no picture of Robbie Nielsen then? Not yet, no. Give it 12 months. Not yet. Okay. So, um, we will talk about a few things this week. We'll, God. We'll maybe talk about Morton against Hearts. I had to sit and commentate on it for the best part of two hours, which was bad enough having to revisit it. Uh, we'll probably talk you about... Didn't have to, you didn't have to go to the, the, the full right end of the M8, did you? You kind of no. stopped it. Was it Erskine or, or no, Govan? And you did it off tube? Yeah, off tube. Um, but that's worse when it's a bad game. And it always seems to be a bad game. I mean, you've done commentary and obviously a lot of off tube commentaries and you've done plenty in the ground. I just find it even worse when you're not there and it's rubbish. I don't know why. It just... Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about that, um, all the commentaries I did from the stadiums back in the day, there was there was a crowd. I, can't, I don't know if there might have been one that I did where it, there was no crowd for, for whatever reason, but we were far enough back not to be heard. In these little grounds that you're still allowed to go to, which isn't very many of them away from home, is there ever that kind of concern that because there's no crowd, everything you say can be heard by everybody else? Oh, no, I like that. You <laughs> should wind everyone up when you're really loud. <laughs> when you... 
No, I quite, I quite enjoy that. You can, but more, more the players. I mean, if it, if you're on, if Hearts are shooting from right to left, you've got Eddie White in front of you, and you see how pish he's been. He's likely to hear that, is he not? <laughs> I hope so. No, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I don't think it goes that. None of the grounds really are that close, but um, it has crossed my mind sometimes when it's it's very quiet and. It feels even more quiet when you're up the back of the stand. I'm sure when they're on the pitch, they can hear the the kind of shouts of the players a little bit more. But it's it's been it's been a surreal season for for many many reasons. Um, I guess we'll, <laughs> that's one word for it. <laughs> it is. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about kind of current affairs. And I think you and you came on just before the Hibs semi final last time, so it was still very early in the campaign. Um, Obviously, a lot's happened since then. Um, there was still a big focus on the kind of SPFL and the court case, which was still kind of fresh in the mind. And that kind of topic is rearing its head again with <laughs> with other things that we'll talk about. So we'll talk about that. Um, we've got a little clip uh, to play, a little interview that Mark very kindly did with a former Hearts manager, George Burley. So we'll, we'll get that played and we'll have a little talk about that. Um, we might look ahead to this weekend, not so much for the football, but maybe just what will happen off the field. Okay, let's get started and let's kind of rip off the uh, plaster and talk about Greenock Morton against Heart of Midlothian at Capolo just a couple of nights ago. I, I, I probably, there's been a running joke, especially on Twitter, that I keep mentioning things in commentary or before commentary that haven't happened, like Hearts have never lost to Alaba. It's been Hearts haven't um, lost to Queen of the South since the six days, blah, blah, blah. And so I threw it out there that apparently Hearts um, have never drawn five away league games in a row. Um, this was not meant to be particularly negative. It's not. It's kind of a, a neutral stat. I just thought it was interesting trivia. Mark, you actually brought it up last week, the question yeah. on the show, and um, Davy Allen, of course, the only man who's going to be able to tell us this for sure, looked into it and said, "No, it, it, we've we've had four away draws in a row, but we've never had five. So I put it out there, you know, if Hearts draw against Morton, then it will be the first time in history they've drawn five league games away from home in a row on the bounce, um, in a row and on the bounce, just to double up. And they did, and it was probably inevitable. Mark, wasn't it? Shite." Um, that too. Well, I actually, I always put Hearts games in, in the calendar and the, uh, on my phone. <laughs> to do something um, else that night. Well, no, so last last season, because they were one of the big boys, there was this automated system that you sign up for and it automatically puts the Hearts games and when they are in your calendar and then it gives you a reminder. This year, that that was that didn't take place. So initially I had the Hearts game on, on Saturday. Obviously, Morton were playing Motherwell, going to extra time and penalties, so tired legs, of course. So I, I, I put, it, put it in the calendar for Tuesday, um, kick-off 7.05, but on, just automatically thought it was a 7.30 kick-off, so I didn't tune in until about 25 past, and I saw it was like 20 minutes gone. You missed the only so, chance. Well, I saw it at half-time, um, <laughs> and it was a decent chance as well that, that they had. I, I'm not going to go down the Robbie Nielsen road of excuses, but the pitch was shite, right, for, for, for a start. It was fiery, it was long, <clears> but... They had more hunger than we did. We went with, I can't complain about the team selection. I suggested that we went with the same one because why would you change something at 6-0? Um, and they just, 
they were, they're going through the motions. I don't want to spend too much time on the Morton game because you know what? Who, get, who gives a toss? It, uh, it's not about the Morton game. It's not about Inverness. It's not about Wraith. And it hasn't been for a while. It's about getting this job done. And it's about the start of next season. And if we don't get off to a flyer, then the manager's going to be in trouble. But that was that was players going through the motion against a side that have still got plenty to play for. You know, you, you know what? You, sorry, Lloyd. You know what, Mark? I, I think the problem is people do give a toss. And, I, and what I thought was interesting was the strength of the team selection. Now, of course, they'd won 6 0, but the league's done. There wasn't a Scott McGill in the starting 11 or, or someone else, mm-hmm. you know, one of the young kids that's been training with the first team. Now, no, normally, this would have been an ideal game to throw someone in and play them. But I thought, and this is my interpretation, I thought the strength of the team, strength and inverted commas, showed a situation that's kind of under pressure because they feel they can't lose games. They can't, you know, they didn't win anyway, but, you know, they feel as if they can't drop points because people are going to pile more heat and pressure on them. And and, and that's why I think, that's why, and listen, I agree with you, to all intents and purposes, it doesn't matter. I think there's a sense, a not unreasonable sense, it does, because public opinion just now is so strongly against what's been going on that every little slip, every little poor performance, every little problem gets leapt upon. And that's why I thought the team selection itself, actually, was quite interesting. I, under, I understand that, you. I mean, you're, you're saying this would be an ideal game for Scott McGill. We're, we're 700 points clear, or... We're, we're, well, we're not really. No, I know, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> what I'm saying is the, the, the league eight, has eight, been won. <laughs> whatever, yeah. it, whatever it is, the league has been won, and it was likely <laughs> to be won. Are we saying that the manager doesn't trust someone like Scott McGill? Because it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a, we've clinched the league, let's put Scott McGill in. Scott well, I McGill... Think well, I, no, I think I, I think it should be, but, but I think what I'm saying is, no, he doesn't trust them. I, I think he feels under pressure to keep winning games because the, the, the way the season has kind of meandered towards conclusion, people are, I mean, we, we all see it and I've done it myself. People are so critical that I think he feels under pressure to pick a strong team, full strength team in a game like that, which, which really didn't matter, where otherwise he would have said, right, we've got a bit of leeway here. Let's throw in one of the kids. Let's try something else. And that didn't happen. And that, to me, was quite telling. Yeah, I think one of the... <clears throat> Mark makes a good point about the pitch, which was... It, it was dreadful. It was a, a, an appalling surface. You could see very quickly, even though I wasn't there. I got sent some pictures from people at the ground. And you could just see the, the way the ball was moving. It, it didn't roll. It bobbled at every moment. One of the things that... <laughs> which frustrated me was our failure to adapt to that because quite clearly we weren't going to be able to knock the ball around patiently. Morton were up for it, they were closing us down and the ball was difficult to control. You could see very early on, as soon as the defenders knocked it around, they were taking two or three touches just to stop the ball from getting away from them. Morton were closing us down. It was that failure to adapt and it, it got me thinking actually, Robbie Nielsen has, I feel like he's had that issue quite a bit this season. We've We've not changed much. I know we've changed it a little bit formation-wise recently with the three at the back, but our approach plays often felt exactly the same, very predictable. And it reminded me of the last time we were in the championship, but it, it reminded me that he did it differently because when we, I remember we played at Cowden Beath. I don't know if you both remember this or you and might a bit more because I know Mark was already living it up in the States. But when we played Cowden Beath, they had a poor pitch and, and Nielsen highlighted it as not having much room on it as well. I think they made it quite tight, although it's very open, the actual stadium. So he just moved Callum Patterson up front when we played away there, and he played very direct. He just looked to play off Callum Patterson as a striker. 
Um, and I remember the, yeah. the second game, all the media guys, Alan Preston, and everyone going, get your money on Callum Patterson for a scorer. All the bookies think he's at right back, but Nielsen's changing because of the, the pitch, and he's just going to play him up front and use him as a target man. And he did. And we won. It wasn't a pretty game, but we won the game. Um, and I just don't know. He didn't even, Laurie, even, even, you're absolutely correct, and that's what they should have done on Tuesday night. Even this season, I remember a game at Ayr. They won 1 0. Liam Boyce scored a penalty. I want to say it was round about the turn January, February. The pitch, I think, was just really heavy. But that's how they played. Back to front, direct. Because mm-hmm. it suited the conditions to win the game. That's what they, that's what they should have done. On, on It was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Not Wednesday, Tuesday. It was Tuesday, that, yeah. That, 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 that's how they should have played. And they didn't. And it's frustrating because they have done it before. They must recognise that's what you have to do. Yeah, even if you hadn't set out that way, you could see, you know, you didn't You don't have to be a tactical genius to see from early on the ball just wasn't going to move around. You couldn't play a passing game from the back. Um, but yeah. It... I, mean, I, I, I mean, I have a situation where after, now I know Janelli's injured, but, but, you know, I go back to this point that I keep making that five wide players were signed over the course of this season and you get to a situation where in the last two games, neither of them st- are deemed worthy of starting the game. I know Mackay Stephen, come on. Castanier's nowhere to be seen. Frio's on the bench. Roberts has been popped off to Motherwell. I mean, that's a bad look, isn't it? All these wide players signed, and, and none of them can command a start in, in, in the in the team at this stage of the season. Yeah, I, I mean, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts, Ewan, because we do an episode every week, so everyone's heard Mark, Mark and my thoughts um, very often. But we're getting towards the end of the season. You know, it's we're basically at the end of it. I know we've got two games left, but we've done what we need to. <laughs> What what is your general feeling about Hearts right now in terms of looking forward? I know people have there's a very much a movement to try and get things changed at the top, both in terms of a footballing sense and beyond that. Do you feel we're at that kind of crossroads just now? Do you think fans need to just, I guess, accept that this was always going to be a difficult season, a difficult situation? Um, no, I don't, I don't think. I, I get annoyed actually that people say. And this normally comes from the outside, but I get annoyed at people saying Hearts supporters should accept what they've watched this season. I think too much of the football has been, I said it the other night, passive, pedestrian, uninspiring. Um, I don't think we should accept for a minute getting knocked out of the, the Scottish Cup of Borough Rangers. I don't think we should accept getting knocked out of the League Cup at Alawa. I don't think we should accept not winning 10 games out of 25 in the, in the Championship. So that, that point kind of irks me. <laughs> um, in terms of the broader picture of the club, Things are going to change. I mean, the, the foundation are going to take over. Anne Budge's role is going to change inevitably in the next few months anyway. That was going to happen. Um, I see shades of grey in terms of Robbie Nielsen and the football, which other people sometimes don't like hearing and, and accuse me of, you know, um, defending the indefensible. But but I I wouldn't change Robbie Nielsen on, you know, on a few levels. One, he's done this before. I mean, that team that won the championship the last time which was a really good team and a successful team. He pretty much ripped it up within a year and they did very well in the, in the, the Premier League. So he has, despite what he says about, you know, he doesn't want much upheaval and not much of an overhaul, I can't believe that Robbie has watched what we've watched this season and doesn't recognise that change is needed. And, and because he's done that before, I would kind of trust him to do that. And I would trust him to do it alongside Joe Savage, who this summer is going to have, going to have his first real chance to, to put a stamp on, on recruitment. And also, I mean, they should certainly be so far down the line in terms of how that's going to look and how that's going to go already. 
I don't think you would change things now. And the other point that, that it's cynical, but I think it applies. I look at the alternatives and I don't see many that make me think, all right, that's the golden bullet that's going to change Hearts' fortunes. I, I just don't think that exists. But my worry... I guess though, hasn't he? Well, this is my worry. This is what concerns me, is I worry about the... I can never say this word, toxicity in the background and the the anger among the support. And and I worry that what happens if not even a you know, not even a bad start to next season, a mediocre start to next season, then it becomes so bad and, and, and you know, we're stuck in this rut where there's gonna to have to be change, there'd be bad feeling towards the club. Why did you not change before? And and the club to me should be criticized for for despite what Stephen Presley says, they have supported Robbie, um, you know, you don't let him you let him bring in Shea Logan with five games to go. That that's supporting. Um, you need to start. Coach. You need to start thumping your table, Ewan, when you're saying that. <laughs> you know what I mean. But you know, <laughs> get your point across. I, I, I worry. I, my overwhelming worry is is the and, and it's it's difficult to gauge because we're not at games. But I worry that the unhappiness is such that if they don't start next season quickly, and listen, they might, they might, they might not. But if they don't start it quickly. The ill feeling and the anger is going to be so strong. That's going to be a really, really bad position. And I hope it doesn't get to that. But that's my, my overriding and overwhelming concern about what's going on over the last few months and, and what's going to take place going forward. But I, I don't see it. There's no one linked with or, or I think available for the Hearts job that suddenly would make you think, you know, oh, everything's wonderful again. And thousands more are going to buy season tickets. And everything's going to be different. I don't think that person exists, which is maybe the wrong way to look at it. But it's, it's, it's the way I think. You need alternatives. You need value, viable alternatives. So on balance, I, I, I would I would let Robbie see this through. The point I wanted to make is: Do you trust those who are making the decision as to what happens next? What do you mean? Sorry, do you mean do I trust Anne Budge to make the right decision? Whoever's making the decision ultimately is going to be Anne Budge's say. She was the one that gave Craig Levine the role um, when he was already director of football. She was the one, and no one, no one complained at the time, or very few complained. There were some dissenting voices. I think mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge them when Robbie was, was reappointed. But do you trust her, um, who has put a lot of money into the football club, but has come out and said she doesn't know that much about football? Um, if she has the final say, because we discussed over the last couple of weeks, it should be Joe Savage that ultimately has a big say in and who comes next, if there is someone to come mm-hmm. next. So do you trust whoever's making the decision to make the right decision, whether it's to keep Robbie, which I think we all know is, is probably going to be kept now because they would have done it before mm-hmm. now, uh, or to identify someone that you said is, is not obvious as to who's out there? Well, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, as I said, I, I've just tried to articulate what I think the difficulties are and what I would do. Do I trust them? I sometimes think Anne Budge is kind of framed as the only football club chairperson or owner that's made bad decisions with managers. And she, she's not. And by, own, by her own admission, Craig Levine should have, should have come out of the manager's role after the cup final in 2019. She admits that mistake. Um, and likewise, what you said, I don't think many people complained, or maybe they did, when Robbie came back last summer. Um, and people didn't complain when they won the semi-final, etc., etc. Do I trust them to make the right decision? Yeah, probably as much as I would trust anyone in charge of a football club to make the right decision. I don't think she has a monopoly on making bad decisions and bad choices. No, not around exactly. what, what I think, where I think Anne Budge is, I think her feeling sometimes is she's overly supported people. She supported Craig Levine massively in terms of, you know, look at the number of players that come in, 
Robbie has been allowed to you look at January. I, I mean, I mentioned wide players. I mean, he went, you know, Castanier. We need another wide player. Well, the club, the club back him and support him to bring in this player. Well, they would have been entitled to say, hang on a minute, we've already signed all these wide players. Why, why do you need more? Shea Logan, as I said, you know, they could have turned around and said, you've got five games to go, you want another player. So, so Anne Bunch has supported people. I, actually, arguably, too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think essentially I do trust them to make the right call. I trust them to make it for the right reasons. Uh, just as I said, I, I worry that, that my kind of default position, I, and I think what would be the club's default position, which would be to, to back and support Robbie, it's offset by the kind of discord there is in the background. It's a, it's a really difficult situation. Would you agree that the structure is the biggest issue at that football club? That football club? That's a very nice. Well, our football club. <laughs> if they'd won at Morton, it would have been our football club. <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean is wrong with the structure? A couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, um, I, I, it's easy to identify problems and everyone was having a go at the manager. And, and rightly so, because ultimately at times it's not been good enough this season. But the way that the football club structure is right now, from top to bottom, I think I'm not going to go into the minutiae of, of specific departments because I, I don't know. I just think that there are issues with the structure of the football club that if resolved would give the manager, regardless of who he is, more of an opportunity to be a success, whether or not that's people in, in the youth department or at Rickerton who've been around for far too long and have stagnated there and have become pretty comfortable, or whatever it is. Um, the chief executive, a lot of people have said, well, we haven't heard much from... Well, you don't, you're not going to hear much from a chief executive. He's, he's not long in the door. I think sometimes the ire has been directed at, at, at the wrong people. Um, and I don't say that that is, is from Robbie's perspective. I think there's, there's understandable anger at him. I just think if the structure was, was better at Hearts, then it would make life easier in a lot of other departments um, to, to progress. Because ultimately, if Robbie Nielsen, and probably when Robbie Nielsen stays in charge of this football club, he's always going to be one defeat away from, um, from the burning torture brigade. Yeah, That's the way it absolutely. is right now. Yeah. So how, how, what needs to happen, if anything, with the structure of the way the football club is run that could help, whether it's the players, whether it's the supporters buying season tickets, or whether it's the, the manager, um, is, there, is that identifying the, the right issue, the most important issue being the structure, or is the number one issue still the manager? I feel you're tiptoeing through the tulips here. There's a point you want to make, but you're not quite. <laughs> Is that, am I wrong or, or what? What no, do you mean? I mean do, do, do you mean Anne Bunch shouldn't be involved in the club anymore? Is no, that what you no mean? Nothing, nothing to do with that. Right. I just think the whole thing. I mean, look, we've spoken well, about John Murray before. We've spoken about Roger Arnold before. We've seen Scott McGill become the first teenager to play for Hearts in the league. He played three times in the League Cup this season, but he's the first time. And I know what you were saying earlier, and you're spot on as well. You see the outcry about Harry Cochran. This is a kid that didn't do much at Dunfermline, didn't do much at Montrose, but was he managed well enough in that if he'd been managed better at that age by whoever was at the football club, he might not have ended up at Dunfermline. He might have got more of a chance at Hearts. As it stands, some people are looking back at him against Celtic and going, can't believe we've let him go. And that's selective thinking. I, just, I know what you're saying about tiptoeing through the tulips, <laughs> but I, 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 there isn't one specific thing that's a problem here, whereas a lot well, of people well, have identified that Robbie Nielsen is the biggest problem at that football club. What say you? I, I, what say you? Here's another way of looking at it. If, if, if the first team wins, 
comfortably week on week or had been newly convincing this season, nobody would give a toss about the background structure of the football club and what people are doing there. And what happens right, is... Haven't. Well, and what happens is, and you're right to mention Harry Cochran, because what happens is something comes out like Harry Cochran is being, is being um, let go. He didn't want to sign the contract. He's going to leave. And this, this pile-on happens. Like, this is the worst decision Hearts have made in the last 30 years because people are angry and people are upset and people are frustrated at the first team. So, so what you get is disproportionate analysis of absolutely everything. John Murray, now I don't know enough about what John Murray does anymore. Roger Arnott, in my experience, is a good guy who's good at his job at the academy. I don't know enough about the, the, the link between the academy and the first team, especially now, given what's happened with the academy and lockdown and shutdown and whatever else, to, to, to properly judge that. But, you know, I, I do know there are a lot of very, very good young players in the Hearts Academy. And I, and I think, um, when I look at Robbie, I think there's been a slight over reluctance to, to play the likes of McGill this season, but he could have done. Um, but all these things, if, if the first team, and this is where sort of the point I was going to make, these first team players who are highly paid, relatively massively highly paid, have underperformed this season, and it must be great for them because they don't get the focus. The focus is massively on Robbie Nielsen, massively on Han Budge, massively on Craig Levine, or it's on John Murray, or it's on Roger Arna, or whoever else they want to pick. And no one says, hang on a minute. What, what, what are these players doing who should be pissing, pardon my profanity, on the players in, fr- in front of them in this Scottish second tier? They should be pissing on Broader Rangers. No disrespect to Broader Rangers, although that will sound disrespectful. And, and th- there's no real focus on them. It's on everyone else. And, and I think that's unfair and unfortunate. I think, the, I think one of the... Th- part, sorry, Laurie. Part, uh, one of the points I just wanted to make about this, and I'll try to make it a bit more su- succinct. Than, I've never tiptoed through anything given my side. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I think uh, the importance of remembering what you were just about to say and then completely losing your your train of thought um, when you're tiptoeing through the, the, the tulips means I can't even remember what I was going to say to you. And I interrupt you, and it's going to come back, and I'm going to interrupt you again. And honestly, I'm... But by the way, by the, by, by the way in terms... Sorry, Laurie, we'll let you speak. In terms of structure of the club, the only point I would make is... The structure of the club is changing. I mean, I mean, it's and, obviously changing. Andrew, Andrew McKinley, the chief executive, and I would expect will have, as I say, Anne's given the shareholder chair transfer. She's inevitably going to step back to an extent. So the, the chief executive becomes far more front of house and far more influential day to day. You could argue this should have happened before now, but anyway, that's going to happen. Joe Savage has been in there a few months and by the looks of it is trying to make a lot of changes to recruitment specifically. So that is change. And, and if you look through, the academy is under his remit as well. So I, I think these changes actually are, structural changes are happening anyway. Um, how much they're responsible for what we've seen this season, I'm not entirely sure about that. I think that might be a bit of a cop-out. The point was too cosy. That's what I was trying to make. Hearts is a club where you know you're Maybe. a nice long contract. That, and if that's something that Joe Savage can change, then that's a step in the right direction. Laurie, you have the floor. I was just... I just had a, th- a flashback. I think it was like a South Park sketch where they're having an interview argument. It's, let me finish. Let me finish. Please, let me finish. Okay. I'm finished. And we were agreeing. <laughs> we, we, we weren't even arguing. We were making basically the same point. I, I, was... think, I actually think, I think I, well, what's damaging is that is at least the perception that it is too cosy. Now, I don't know if that's true. I think. But, but from, from, from the outside, it kind of looks that way, and that's not a good look. Stop I guess. Talking, what, um, I know I'm not allowed to talk today, tonight, apparently. <laughs> 
there's a lot of experts. Oh, well, may as well keep going then. There's a lot of experts out there that seem to know a lot about hearts, including so-called ourselves, including ourselves. About and you made a good point. There's people out there that think they know best. No one really knows what goes on behind the scenes. No one really knows what Andrew McKinley does. No one really knows what Roger Arnott does. No one really knows what John Murray does on a day-to-day basis. But because we've got 864 Hearts podcasts now every week, and we're all looking for different angles, then we have to try and pretend that we know a lot more than we actually know. Laurie, you may have the floor. I, I was merely going to say, I think the point we're almost getting at is it feels like the problems run deeper than just the manager, given That's what I was the malaise of of five years, you know, given the money and the players that we've signed, the fact that we've underachieved so greatly must go beyond just Robbie Nielsen this season. Um, exactly. What if, what if, as I said, what if the next guy, whoever that may be, whenever that may be, has exactly the same issues? How many more people do we talk about as head coaches before it kind of the penny drops? Wait a minute here. Is this the biggest problem at the football club? If I'd said that right at the start, we probably could have avoided 10 minutes of, of kind of tiptoeing through various flower beds. And what, and what, and what, what, what we should also say is, despite all the mumping and moaning and, and the cup stuff, both cup exits were a, a total embarrassment. We should also point out that there hasn't been material harm this season in the sense that they haven't not got promoted. You know, it's not so bad that, that they've, they've ended up in a playoff position or not come out of this division because that would have been a total disaster. So despite all this... Imagine, winning, rub- imagine winning, winning the Cup and, and, and staying in the Championship for another well, season. That, that, I mean, that would have, that would have inflicted um, tangible harm on the club. So, so it is worth pointing out, for all this, all the complaining that we have, I think, legitimately <laughs> done, it's not harmed the club in that way. They're, they're still going to go back to the Premier League. They're, they're going to have a bigger upheaval in the summer than I and I think a lot of others hoped they would have to have. But the fact is, they're, they're going back to where they should be um, and I mean that in terms of stature of the club, and they've got a chance, another chance, to reset with a host of new players in the summer and hope that things improve. Now, that's frustrating, but it's not the end of the world, really. OK, let's move on and change the subject very slightly because, Mark, uh, you had a brief chat with a certain former Hearts manager the other day. Yeah, I'm doing Paul Mariner's book right now. Um, sadly, Paul's health isn't great, so I'm spending a lot of time interviewing his former teammates and friends. I obviously played with George Burley at Ipswich in a very successful Ipswich side in the late 70s and early 80s. So I'm making my way through the, the Ipswich side that Paul played with to get their thoughts for, for Paul's book. And it would be remiss of me while talking to George Burley about their time at Ipswich if I didn't manage to kind of sneak in a little bit afterwards uh, having explained to him that we do a Hearts podcast, but it's certainly not explaining that uh, I wrote Believe back in the day. And um, it was uh, it was a certain incident which no longer features in the book that we had to get taken out and it cost me a £1,000 in legal fees. But never mind, I didn't mention that to him either and I never have mentioned it since. We digress. I did speak to him and asked him this. Let's hear. Roll VT, Dunsire. Rolling. There's a difference of opinion between whether or not Hearts may or may not have gone on to win the league that year. Some say no, others say yes. What do you think? I'll say yes. Yes, we had a squad of players there who were on top of the game, who who played to the strengths, big individuals, you know, Paul Hartley, 
um, you know, with, um, a number of international players. You know, we brought some good foreign players in. We, you know, we didn't have fears going to Rangers or Celtic. So at the time, I think definitely. Who knows how far that would go? But at the time, we were definitely the best team. Well, I think that for sure. And um, you know, people like Craig Gordon, even with Scott for me, was absolutely fantastic. You know. And, you know, and Paul Hartley were on there. You know, Stephen Presley was fantastic. So we had great professionals who, who set standards. So I don't see any reason why we couldn't have done it. But, I mean, everything's got to be right. There are always difficulties behind the scene, and that wasn't going to change. So that that, that might have, that might have stopped us. So, uh, but we certainly at that point were the best team in the league. Why do you think you were able to start games so quickly at the start of that season? Yeah, we went went for the juggler. We 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 had players who we could play forward early. You know, we had players, target men who were strong and could hold the ball up. And um, you had Rudy Scatch who, who scored every in every game. For, was it eight games in every game? Yep. One again for the first eight. And Rudy was one of these players, if somebody held the ball up, he went on and he had a sledgehammer left foot. And that was really strength. You know, if, if we didn't have people who would hold the ball up for him, he wouldn't have got those goals. So it was the balance. And we talked to the Ipswich having the balance. And other teams, you know, you got your players, so you've got to play to your strength. And we were doing that. And we were doing that. And we had a, you know, a goalkeeper who was in his prime at that time. You know, who, you, who the team believed they weren't going to concede goals. So, yeah, at that time, we had the right balance. We were playing nice, positive football. Not be not, not a free fall of people that were passing the ball around the back at the time. Because there were strengths going forward. So we went forward and scored goals and won games. I remember the Middlesbrough friendly. Because you had, you had some scouting network. Simon Hunt um, came up with the goods yeah, and, and you as well. Um Bednar yep. and Pospisil yep. against uh, against yep. Middlesbrough, and um, and you you took uh, you took them both off. Was that because you were worried that um, someone else might be spying on them and and, and trying to get them ahead of you? I mean, it's when you see something you like, you think that will do me. And we'd been a lot of difficult excited players, and you see Simon Hunt did tremendously well. He he had um, good contacts. In the Czech Republic and around there, um, and so um, that that worked well uh, for us. And these these players you see next to me, they're quality. So if you've got quality, you bring them into your side, and then you adapt to formation, whatever, um, to to which which is going to make you successful. That Celtic game at, at Celtic Park when Craig Beatty scored to give them the lead, and then Rudy equalised. You had chances in that game. Were there murmurs at the time after that that the influence from upstairs was getting to the stage it was too much and and you were considering your future? Well, my my agent was there after still there, then Robinoff came in and told him that um, why was why was I not trying to win the game? We played rubbish and we've got to do better than that. <laughs> so his view of the game, you think well where do you go from there? 
So that, that was the, the comment of that game. Having a, an <laughs> owner that thinks he knows best is never good for a manager. No, but the reality of the matter is, as we're seeing at the moment, these owners who are buying clubs and taking clubs over are not football people. And that's exactly what's happening with the Premiership at the moment. You've got these owners who are looking for, you know, to bring more money in and, and, and devise certain things that will help their investment, you know, and the money will get bigger and bigger. And you're seeing that. that that's what's happening at the moment. Mm. And it's not good for the game. It's not good for the game, you know. And that, that's what happened at Hearts and, and numerous other clubs now, you know. You don't cover, we talked about the Cobalts, you don't have the Cobalts. You know, and when I was manager uh, at MCH, I had John Kerr and David Sheepshanks, who were local business people, farmers, who, who were, were football people. And that's what, you know, I enjoyed when I was manager. Now, you know, your managers don't have the same input and foreign owners and you know, your director of football, where you haven't got the same. And it's not like it was. And so um, that, that is the way the game is now. So people have got to adapt. Finally, George, you, you achieved a lot as a player and as a manager. You got Ipswich up through the, the playoffs in, in 2000. I know you weren't at Hearts for long, but do you ever think what might have been with that season? Yeah, well, I mean, I enjoyed it. I tend to think about it. I really enjoyed it. I mean, the, that first few months with the, the fans, you know, I remember going into Paradise about an hour before the kickoff, and three quarters full of the stadium was full of heart fans. Uh, and there was hardly a D95 there. <laughs> and that was an hour before kickoff. And you think, oh, what a fan base. So they, they, they were a great height. But it was always, you know, once you get involved, it was always going to be difficult. But that's the way it is. As I say, I really enjoyed my time. I had great fun and with the fans and the enjoyment. Um, and and it didn't work out. But uh, I think I think the fans enjoyed it when I was there, and I did. So that that's the main thing. Uh, but it, it got tougher and tougher. Like like a, what, uh, like, like a lot of clubs are experiencing at the moment. There you have it, George Burley uh, talking to Mr. Donaldson. Hopefully, all um, perfectly, perfectly legal and above board. And there's no, you're not going to get any more solicitors' fees no, to deal with anything. Time. No, not this time. Hey, well, for a start, you have included that now in the podcast. Unfortunately, our guest Ewan Murray still hasn't heard it. And B, uh, VT is videotaped, and this is yeah. an audio podcast. So <laughs> make of that, make of that what you what you. Who's, well, the, who's the people on TV? Yes, in this? but but videotape anyway. That doesn't make sense either because no one's sticking a videotape in a VCR and hitting play when you do it, are they? So well, what what do you do when you record something now? Because you used to go and tape that. What do you do? Do you DVR it or what, what's what's the thing in in the UK these days? Tape it. What like off the TV? I oh, just, you want to record something? You just record it, or yeah, just record just it. Go tape, tape that. Oh, okay, record it on what? Your your DVR or something? The, yeah, the the um, well, the Virgin box I've got here. I don't really record anything, to be honest. But that's this right. This is a boring tangent. Anyway, um, George Burley talking about. Actually, you're taking control now. 
2005-2006. I guess one of the interesting things he said, I know Ewan didn't get a chance to hear it, but yeah, it's fine, we'll tell you. Um, the the question, the, the million dollar question in some, in some respects that we spoke to Craig Gordon about, we spoke to Robbie Nielsen about, we've spoken about it. Would Hearts have won the league if George had stuck around in 05-06? And he very quickly said yes. There was no hesitation, no humming and hurring. It was just yes, definitely the best team in the league at that point. Confident. Well, Craig and Craig and, um, and Robbie disagreed. One said yes, yeah. one said no. I know we're <laughs> which way around was that? I can't, I can't remember. We're, we're going back fifteen and a half years, Ewan. If mm. George Burley. Well, the, uh, this is the weird thing because he, he he went on in that little piece that we've just heard you and to to say that at that stage and he explained about the the, the interference from above. I, I I think there was there was more chance of of Hearts actually doing something in the league than him staying around to be there because. That that was just that that was reaching a crescendo. If it wasn't the the Celtic after the Celtic game, it would have probably been after the Dunfermline game. It was getting to the stage where the manager had had enough of the interference from above. So we're, we're, we're basically saying if everything was the same and there was no interference from above and George Burley had stayed, of course Hearts would have had a good yeah. chance of of winning yeah. the league. But there was a lot going on around that time that that would put a severe doubt in. In Hart's chances of a Burley staying and and b them 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 having enough over the over the piece to to get the job done. Yeah, there's two elements to it, isn't there? There's one that is that that is it seemed impossible, given how how few games he lasted. It was impossible he was going to last a season without some Rami with upstairs that was going to mean there was going to be problems anyway. Even if he stayed in the job, there was going to be issues and rows and, and unhappiness that was going to manifest itself in the team somehow. The other one was, I can't remember who said this, it was a coach, someone involved said to me before that the, if you remember, they played at such high tempo and such intensity. Someone said to me, it would have been really, really difficult for them to do that for an entire season. And that was a good point. I can't, someone said that to me years ago. Well, said George, it would have been George, difficult. George addressed that. He addressed that and, and, and he felt that the players were fit enough because that was one of the points. The, the point being, and it's difficult that we're speaking to you having you not heard it. Um, if this was a professional podcast, we, we would have sent you the audio beforehand <laughs> and you could have listened to it, but it's not a professional podcast. Well, I thought I, you I had. To, I sent it to you and then you didn't send it to our guest. That's disappointing for me, Laurie. I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he, he came out and, and you know, I audio. asked him, a, I, I know, I know, I know. Well, <laughs> done something for a change. Um, Asking him about the, the the speed that Hart started games, mm. and he he had the opportunity to say, well, I didn't think that the players um, had it in them to play like that for ninety minutes. And again, he felt that the players were fit enough and good enough to win the league, but there were many other things that um, that didn't. But what's he? Otherwise. What 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 is he going to say though? Really, he of he is course. not. I mean, five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five years on, he's not going to say. Actually, my team might have fallen short. I mean, that's not that's not how he's going to speak. So <laughs> speaking so much sense, you know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he, he. I mean, he built this team from from scratch, really, and and they were they were fantastic to watch, and the, and the, the battered teams, swatted teams aside, um, 
pissed on them. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he's he's and obviously history sees things more favourably. Anyway, he's going to say, of course, they could or would win the league. I'm not. Could they have stood the test of time again? I mean, Rangers were weak that season. Could they have stood the test of time against Celtic? Not. I'm. I'm not. I've never been entirely convinced, but. Who knows? It's a great pub debate, isn't it? Here's a different question for you then, because um, one thing he also touches on is um, the approach, which was, you know, nothing fancy. You know, he says that. You know, they, they, they played direct, they played high tempo because they felt they had the players to do so. He said they felt they had the players who, <clears throat> with the strength up front who the ball would stick with and they could bring players in, like the likes of Hartley and Scatchell. We spoke about this a little, I can't remember, it was a few weeks back anyway, about some of... I mean, I brought up initially some of my favourite Hearts teams and how they've often been the teams that have not overcomplicated things. And the Jim Jeffries side, um, when I first started getting into Hearts, Craig Levine the first time around. Um, and obviously we're talking about the George Burley era as well. Paolo Sergio and that Hearts team may be slightly different for, for much of that season, but some of the most successful periods and the times where the, the fans actually enjoyed watching Hearts were these teams that didn't necessarily think about possession or playing fancy football, so to speak. It was direct. It was it was fast. It was in your face. It wasn't complicated, but it was effective. Do we compl- overcomplicate things sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think now if you speak, I mean, if you speak about direct football, it's it's kind of sniffed out, isn't it? As if it's yeah, yeah, one dimensional. I mean, that 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 Jim Jeffries team in ninety seven, ninety eight was fantastic to watch. Yeah, um, George Burley's team was fantastic to watch. Both played attacking, direct, and in the nicest possible sense, football. And 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 what they had in common was Jeffrey's team used to, in that season used to do that as well. They would blow teams away in the first half of games, and the game was won. That's what Burley's team did. Also, George Burley, to be fair, of course we focused on Scatcho and Fisas and Hartley, but he made um, I don't want to be unkind. He made normal players. You know, Jamie McAllister played quite a lot. I think Robbie Nielsen, who who listen that. A huge fan of Robbie Nielsen as a player, but he, he raised the standard of these guys as well. Yeah. Maybe partly because who their teammates were, but he obviously had something as a coach where he made um Callum Elliott was, Callum was a, a decent Callum Elliott. as well. Um another one there was there was others. And he and he you know I I can't believe it was only because their teammates were better. They also stepped up and improved. And that's a sign of a good coach. To be fair, I think Elliot kinda of broke through after he'd after he left, really, but no, I get your point, and, and that was another thing we discussed recently: was is there too much focus on managers, you know, overhauling and signing players, and not coaching players to be better than what they were, you know, improving them? Um, it, it, yeah, it, there's some interesting debates about it. I just think sometimes um, there's a lot, there's too much focus on, you know, the, the people managers get caught up in four two three one playing out from the back and it's the, it was obviously the big fashionable fashionable thing and then gegen pressing was the the new thing after tiki taka and sometimes playing direct football doesn't mean that you're just lumping up the park park aimlessly it can be it can be good to watch it can be exciting to watch and playing off a big target man is sometimes uh, as exciting as any kind of football i think um Absolutely. I was, trying, I was trying to remember. I watched when George Burley arrived. I went to watch them in pre-season in Ireland. They played in Dublin, um, and I'm pretty sure in the first game he was in charge, pre-season game. Stephen Simmons and Dennis Wynas played up front. I'm pretty sure. 
I mean, they had, well, he had the, the middle game, didn't he, when he had Pospisil and when he they had, came in by that point. But they went to by that point. They went to Ireland first, and Andy Webster didn't go because I think Rangers tried to sign him, and there was a bit of something going on, so they left him at home. But the team that played in Ireland, and those they played Bray Wanderers. Well, the second was the game. first game, wasn't it? St. Pat's, there you go. So the team had Mikulunas, Kitsish, Weir, Simmons, Chesnowskis uh, as the yeah, kind of front are. five. Yeesh. I thought I thought Wynas played. Did Wynas not play? No. Wynas, uh, Wynas was on the bench. Came on at half time for Marius Kitsish. Okay. This was this was the first game against uh, right. against St. Pat's. So I remember that. So the point the point with that was he, he he completely changed the team. I mean, the team that played from there. They played Middlesbrough, and then was that when they played Hull? Was that the same season? They played Hull just after three days after they. They are so, but, so but, when, when Jankowskis was already in at that stage. So by that time, the team was starting to evolve and starting to become all right. This is a serious team, but he did it pretty quickly, really, because he he, he had nothing to work with really when he came in. The one point I wanted to make was about the Celtic side um, that kind of won the league that year, but. I mean, the three of us have watched Celtic teams against Hearts that I think were a fair bit better than than that team. I mean, it, it did enough. It was better than us over the course of it. But their fullbacks against us in that one-all draw were Mo Kamara and Paul Telfer. They had Bobo Balda playing with Stephen McManus at, at centre-back. And, and they had Craig Beattie in there. Look, they had a fair bit of talent with Nakamura and Sutton and, and Petrov and, and Thompson. Um, and John Hartson was, was on the bench. So, yeah, but... It, it wasn't the kind of the swashbuckling Celtic side of Hoydonk, Cadet, um, uh, other guys up front, and then Larson, Larson coming yeah. in as well. I mean, it, it, was, was, uh, it was all right. It was, it was all right, but... That was Strachan's first season, wasn't it? Yeah, well, five was... Yes. Have they not lost to our media yeah. practice? Yeah. It was his first game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of his first games. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, actually, I think it was I mean, his he, first he, game, wasn't it? Yep, he faced... He faced Sutton out pretty quickly, and a, a lot of those kind of higher earners. I would just, I it, it was an old team, wasn't it? Telford 33, yeah. Camera 30, Baldy 30, Lennon 34. These are all players that started against Hearts. Thompson 31, Sutton 32. So you've got six players there over the age of 30. So that's but, what he's obviously trying to do. But, but they had, they had, you know, course and distance experience of winning the league. Yeah, that would be the yeah. thing. I think they had, I think it's interesting. Burley talks about having the best team, and I always thought we did have the best 11, but I thought Celtic had a better squad. They had a bit more strength for a season, even if at full strength, I thought our 11 probably better theirs, but when you had to start using the squad when Bednar got injured and, and such like, we didn't have that same strength and depth. But anyway, we, we shall move on. It's just a, an interesting topic, and it'll be discussed for for years to come, I'm sure. This weekend, Heart of Midlothian back in action, back at Tynecastle against Inverness Cali Thistle, and the the um, the topic on everyone's lips is not about the football, Ewan, but it is about whether or not a certain trophy will be accepted or or lifted or shown any sort of respect 
Uh, we understand Hearts will make a decision tomorrow, which is Friday. So by the time you listen to this, there might be something public out there. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because Mark and I have spoken about this whole leave it on the stand thing, and we, we're kind of in the middle somewhere, I think, is where we were roughly at. What, what do you feel about it? I have to credit, before I come on here, my mate Alistair texted me, and he said someone had said on kickback that uh, the, the defender should take the trophy and pass it amongst themselves for 30 seconds and then launch it aimlessly up 60 yards <laughs> up the pitch. <laughs> Which, so whoever posted that on kickback made me laugh. Um, I'm kind of in the middle as well, but I think a point should be made, and, I, and I'm pretty disappointed to be honest that we've got, you know, two weeks. It's two weeks since we've won the league. It's months surely since they had to contemplate winning the league, and there's still no decision made as to what they're going to do. Part of me thinks this shouldn't really be the players' decision to make either. Um, and as for, I know Craig Halkett's only answering our question, but he said today, you know, about showing respect to other teams in the league. Well, I don't think Hearts have any cause to show respect to any, any of these other teams in the league, to be perfectly honest, given what happened um, a year ago and beyond. And apart from Inverness, and I think they've been well looked after in terms of the virtual tickets and everything that, that happened there. So, um, you know, I, I, it kind of annoys me, maybe sums up the last few months that they haven't said, here's what we're going to do. Take a decision, say what you're going to do and do it. But I think some should, kind of point should be made because... Um, what happened a year ago wasn't acceptable then and it's not acceptable now. I don't think we should just move on and forget it. And it's not as if there's any league sponsors we're going to upset, is it? Well, let me, let me play devil's advocate here. If the Hearts fans hadn't have got together and started up this campaign, this would probably never have been mentioned, correct? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what it comes down to. The players deciding. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. I mean, I get that it's them who have been on the pitch and won the you know, technically won the championship, but they're employees of the club. They're representatives of the club. To me, someone higher up at the club should make a decision. Here's what we want to do. I, I mean, I, I can understand why players who, I mean, given the amount of stick, albeit not in grounds, but given the amount of stick they've had over the last few months, maybe aren't particularly well disposed to, to the support anyway. I can understand why players would be a little unsure about this. And, and for some of them, they don't win many. Uh, medals and going by this season they won't win many more so it's a bit of a quandary for, for them and, and, and I, f- I feel a bit awkward that they're in this position but I mean here we are as I said 48 hours before the game almost you know two weeks since they won the league I think it should have been settled by now to be honest Laurie Tuesday night um, I was speaking to someone after the game against Morton at that stage and it may have changed now a decision might have been made at that stage there was still no confirmation from uh, Hamden Park that Neil Doncaster would be in attendance at the game. Now, you'd like to think by now, and we're recording this Thursday night UK time, you'd like to think by now ahead of a Saturday game that the decision would have been made uh, by him or the people around him as to whether or not he was going to be at Tynecastle. But after the game on Tuesday, Hearts had still, from what I understand, Hearts had still not been told whether or not Neil Doncaster would be in attendance. He's probably busy trying to figure out what the hell's happening on Saturday because if we're not at Tynecastle, but the fact that I'm, I'm totally going off topic here, but talking about um, not having much notice and things, is this not a bit farcical and sums up the SPFL that? On Saturday, Brora Rangers and Kelty Hearts should be warming up for 
their playoff game and 48 hours before it, they have still not been given confirmation by the SPFL that they can or will play it. What's your friend? The breaking Ewan, isn't it? Oh, ridiculous. That whole thing. Don't get me started on that. We could have a separate podcast. Oh. Like, I, don't, I, I, I don't care whether it's Neil Doncaster. It really doesn't matter who... who there, there will be someone there from the SPFL because there's a, there will be. a trophy. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, you, you just make the point. The point will be picked up um, and photographs or footage or publicly... I, I'm really not concerned who's there, but I, I think I think somehow, and, I, and I'm I'm not particularly bothered what it is. I think somehow a point has to be made, and, and I, as I say, I'm, I'm uncomfortable that it's left in the hands of football players to to decide what that point is. But you know, there we are. As I say, maybe that sums up how the last few months have gone. We could have a separate podcast on, but I want to mention it briefly because it does feel pertinent for Hearts fans still because it's coming up again Brecon City have you know um, been begging so to speak to the SPFL saying it's very unfair no one should be no one should be punished during this difficult pandemic and no one should have to not just face relegation but no one should even have to face a game that might relegate them Um, that's surely it's understandable that that stirred up some more beef with the heart support once again. Laurie, at least we can get to determine their own fate by playing on the pitch. At least you actually get to play games to decide what happens. I mean, lucky them. But I, mean, I said this the other day. People say, oh, shameless breaking, and this is awful. Well, if you've seen what happened a year ago, it's not shameless at all, is it? This is just that the culture that was allowed to, to exist. So why wouldn't they chance their arm? Why wouldn't they try to get out of this? I mean, <laughs> I mean given what happened, from March 2020 onwards, that's exactly what they would do, isn't it? It's in keeping with what happened before. Yeah. I don't understand why people are surprised. No, no, I'm not surprised, uh, but it's kind of understandable that teams like Hearts and, you know, Partick Thistle, I've seen Partick Thistle fans reacting as well. I'm sure there'll be Stranraer fans who will feel the same way, that there is a ridiculous irony and hypocrisy about what they're coming out with. There's so many points to this. I mean, of course, that, that that's ludicrous. I mean, I looked at Beacon's record. I mean, what have they lost 101 games since the start of 2000? Yeah, I mean, the reason they don't, the reason that they're basically not wanting to have to play the playoff is because they don't find well they'll lose because they lose. That's what they do. They just lose all the time. Um, and, and I looked at the Highland League table. Now, here's another an element of this. The Highland League only played Broda played three games. Now, funnily enough, the top five teams in the Highland League, some of whom had played two games had more points than Beacon City have got so far now, as we sit in <laughs> the 22nd of April. Anyway, um, if the Highland League had finished at three games and it wasn't Broda and it wasn't Kelty, who I think played 13, there might be a debate here. But because Broda and Kelty got so sensationally stiffed last time around, it's a no-brainer. I mean, do you want this pyramid thing to exist or not? You know, it's the same clubs who, who were denied this playoff, and, and despite a lot of the um, flawed reasoning given for that at the end of last season, I never accepted that either. They could have played those games. But they were denied wrongly the last time. The SPFL, even from an optics thing, even from an image perspective, should say, they should be doing everything to say, we're, we're going we're gonna to let these games happen and carry on. But, but no, no, legal advice, and oh, honestly, it's head and hands. The bigger picture here, Ewan, is, is surely that Another year on from an absolute catastrophe and a mess, and, and we're allowing this to happen. That that should set more alarm bells um, 
ringing that this is being allowed to happen be, because of the inadequacies of, of we spoke about structure earlier to do with hearts, the inadequacies of, of the Scottish football upper management. But well, with the way hasn't, hasn't, up, in fairness, it hasn't happened yet. In fairness, I mean, they, they might end up no. playing these games. But I mean, the fact we're in this position is is laughable. It's a shambles. What do you think? Um, back to the back to the Hearts game. Uh, you know, yeah, Morton was a dead rubber. But as he pointed out, there's you know there's eagle eyes on these games. There's people looking for you know any reason to to maybe jump on the manager. And you know, Hearts will have a season ticket campaign to run very shortly obviously it'll be similar to what other clubs are doing that it'll be relying on streaming for at least part of the season or for or part of the fans is there still a bit of pressure on Hearts to maybe put a show on to, to try and get a little bit of positivity out of these last two games it's not going to it's not going to suddenly get everyone on, on board but if Hearts are terrible and lose these last two games heavily maybe make a bit of difference than if there is some kind of performance, some kind of something for them people to, to grasp it on. Um, yeah, I, I think, as I say, this goes back to what I think the problem is, that the, the consequences of a bad performance and result is now so so kind of damaging that, you know, it's everyone just gets kicked again. That That is far bigger than the positivity that results that comes out of a good result, if that makes sense. Did I articulate that even yeah. remotely, yeah. properly? A bad result and a bad performance, all hell breaks loose. A good result and a good performance, now people shrug their shoulders and say, well, that's what they should be doing. That's the and middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's, you know, I feel sorry for Robbie in that regard, but that's the, that's the movie we're in. This will be a tough game. Inverness have, a, have an outside chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they need um, a win really now, don't they? They, yeah. they have to win. Under Neil McCann, who had a slowest start, they're playing really good football and they were in a, a terrific run. We were unlucky to get knocked out of the cup at, at St Mirren. Um, by all accounts, unlucky to beat Dundee the other night and they only had nine men. Um, so this will be a hard game. Inverness, are, are, you know, they, they have to come and try and win, so it'll be tough. And uh, As I say there, like all these weekends now, I just fear for the the backlash towards everything if the if the result and the performance go the wrong way. And that's why from that point of view the end of the season can't can't really come come soon enough. Ewan, how how do we deal with this apathy? It's not a quick a quick um solution, is it? Well I don't know about that. I mean if they sign if they sign a few players that people think like okay, that that's a bit of a statement. I don't know who those players are, obviously. But if they if they make a few signings People haven't been to football for so long. I tend to think that what you know, despite people saying I'm not going back, I'm not renewing, I'm not bothered. I think there's going to be a bit of an underlying urge for folk to go back to games anyway. I certainly hope so. I know I feel that way. Um, and if they start next season, you know, with what looks like a far stronger team and start with a bit of spring in their step, I think it changes quickly. But but it's what we said, you know. It, not even one bad result. Sometimes it feels like they're only one goal or one concession or one corner away from people going apoplectic. And and that's that's a difficult movie to get off. It's a difficult thing to turn around. And if you're like me and you think Robbie Nielsen knows what he's doing and you let you know, I would be supportive of Robbie as much as anyone would be. That is what I worry about. It's what happens if if things just go a little bit slow or they, they lose on Saturday and they start next season with an odd bad result. You know, it's it's you know, it's like people are going to burn the place down, and it's not. It can be a it can be a good environment to work in. 
never mind to try and play football in. So that's that's my overriding concern that I just hope they can I'm not sure it's apathy. I think there's I think there's kind of anger and annoyance over a lot of things this season. But I think it can turn around quickly. But but they're under pressure to, to do that. Okay, uh, I, I want to deal with the, the, the two of you and ask a couple of questions um, regarding the, the kind of season just gone by. Um, so, Laurie, we'll start with you. You're permitted to talk again. Thank you. Um, what, and the same question to you, you and straight afterwards. What has been your biggest gripe this season, Laurie? I think it's been our inability to to change or adapt or try something different. I feel like we've been, It's. I feel like it's deja vu most weeks. It's the same plodding, same issues, the same tempo, very predictable. The predictability, there we go. That's a better way to say it. The predictability of our team has probably been my biggest gripe. Ewan? I don't like the commentary on Hearts TV. Actually. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> It's never done from the ground, are we? <laughs> um, you pinched. This, I would. I would have said slow starts. Actually, probably again. Probably recruitment. I mean, you could reel off the players. They've signed so many players that I don't think are up to scratch, and and I think a lot of them were unnecessary. It's not as if you could say, oh, they'll sign these players just to get us through the championship season, because a lot of them haven't been good enough for that. So, you know. Yeah. Names, but, but there's been too many of them have been bad, bad signings. Next question, again, keeping this really open. Biggest surprise, up to you if you want to go positive or negative. You, you can start with this one. Probably, I'll, I'll be positive for once. Probably, um, probably Liam Boyce, who I think has been, I think his attitude has been terrific. I think he, I mean, he, he's a player who would be entitled to say, I know he's getting well paid or whatever, but he would be entitled to say, I didn't come up here and sign up for this and, and you know, tried to move or not bothered in a lot of games or whatever else. But I think his attitude has been first class. He's scored goals. He's looked a threat. He's not been terrific every week, but that happens. Um, and, I, and I've been positively, really not really surprised, I've been positively surprised by him because um, I, I thought he might just say, oh, this, this isn't for me. I'll, I'll try and go elsewhere. But I think he's actually been... Um, a success story this season, so I would give him credit for that. Okay, Laurie? I was trying to think of something positive, but <clears throat> probably Gary McKay-Steven, if we're talking biggest surprise, because I was I was shocked we got him. I, 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 I thought he would go to an Aberdeen or to someone in the top flight, or maybe even, you know, maybe a mid to lower English championship side, given his pedigree and the fact he's still not too old. Um, I thought he was a massive signing, and I thought when we when we brought him in for the second half of the championship season, I was almost like, feels like a cheat, you know. You can sign Gary McKay Stephen to play against Alawa and Arbroath and whatnot. The fact that he is, as I don't think he's had one good performance. He had a cross, but I don't think you could say this one game where you'd say his overall performance was good. That to me is a surprise because I thought that signing was terrific on paper. Well, the next question. You could answer the same again, because the next question is biggest letdown. Sorry. Get him a guy, Stephen. <laughs> Ewan? Yeah, I'm trying to think. That, that is the obvious answer. I'm trying to think of someone else who's been 
Mm. Does it have to be a player or just be a general biggest letdown? <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving it open to you. Because, I mean, you've got two cup results so you could... <laughs> That's got. To be, if we're not talking a specific player, then you surely one of the one or both of those cup results has to be someone. Someone who's been his only crime here is getting old. But Stephen Naismith has been this. This actually precedes this season, but to me, he's been a letdown. He he doesn't offer nearly enough when he plays, um, and the fact he's got two years left in his contract is, is obviously, I think, will be an issue for the club. Um, so get a coach again, as well. I, I, yeah, I, listen. I don't blame them. It's a bit like it's a bit like Christoph Berra. They just got older. You can't perform the way you used to, or you want them to perform. But I think he's at this level. I thought he would have contributed a lot more on the pitch than he than he has. I still think he's been. I think he's been really poor. Okay, um, five questions, three down, two to go. Question four, Ewan. Best moment. This shouldn't take long. Um, what do you think I was going to say? The semi-final game. I mean, is there anything? <laughs> no. Than I t- I t- well, only because only because I was there. That that the D game at the start because it was it was it was great to be. It's not you know, it was great to be back. Although it was weird being at Tynecastle with no one there after everything that had gone before. Um, the kind of hellish months over the over the summer. Watching them beat the D six two and the way they played that night, I really really enjoyed that. And that's probably personal to me because I'm in the tiny tiny minority. Laurie is the same who was at the game, and that and I thought right, this is this is good. I wasn't at the semi final, so it couldn't it would never quite have that impact on you. Um, that night against them D, which actually in a lot of ways made a lot of what happened subsequently. So kind of disappointing because I thought they can't yeah, play that the way. And, and, yeah, yeah. Set that high. And, I, and I thought, well, they can't play this way, and this is how they want to play. And, and after Christmas, there was, there's been kind of none of that. But that night against Dundee seems weird given it was the first league game, but that probably still stands out as the, the highlight of the season. There's been two league games, hasn't there? Uh, the Dundee game and the first uh, league game of the season. And the, the Wraith game away from home, <laughs> they were absolutely shattered having played at Hearts for the first time at the weekend in about six weeks or something, a month, six weeks, and then Hearts went there and could have scored any time they, they went forward. Uh, for you, Laurie, moment. Well, I was at the semi-final, so the obvious answer is Aloha getting relegated. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Aloha. Okay. Oof, oof, an F-bomb. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to keep these as, as open as generic as possible. Laurie, you can you can answer um, the final question first. I'm going to take you down an only fools and horses uh, road. Instead of saying this time next year we'll be millionaires, I'm going to end it after a year. So this time next year, hearts dot dot dot. Finish the sentence for me. Am I going? Am I up first, Emma? Yes. Mons 2, Rodney. Mons (laughs) 2. This time next year, Hearts will be top six. I couldn't think of anything funny, sorry. That's fair. You in? Yeah, I think they'll be be chasing a European place, actually, this time next year. I'd be pretty confident of that. Um, I'm not quite sure why I'm confident of that, but I think think they'll currently, I think at this time they'll be involved in a a chase for European football. 
With the manager um, still in place, the one that we have right now? Well, if in that position, I think he will be, yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean, I've, I've outlined why I think he should be there, but why I think that's troublesome. But who knows what what position we're in come September. But I, part of this is based on the, predicated on the fact that I, I don't think the top league in Scotland is particularly strong. And if Hearts do things properly, as I hope he will, over the next few months and recruit sensibly and given the money they've got compared to a lot of other clubs, there's no reason they can't aim for the top three, top four. No reason at all. Playing, um, playing, devil, playing devil's advocate, are we guilty of blinkered, of wearing blinkers when it comes to Hearts? Because I, I'm in exactly the, the, the same boat, saying, oh, the top league's not that strong. Hearts were bottom of what wasn't a, a, a strong top league last year. So what what makes you think? Um, I mean, I suppose you've just answered the question, the the, the recruitment. But are, are, are fans blinkered in, in kind of thinking that because we're hearts and if we get the right players in, is is that enough to secure? No, 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 no. But no, but we're we're entitled to think that should be eminently possible. Oh, and, and 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 particularly in Scottish football, I just think resources are, are if used properly are just so important. So. Um, I don't think we're blinkered in saying that's where they should be, and I, I don't think from what I've seen, it's too big a leap. I mean, the team that, that, that um, was at the bottom of the league when football stopped isn't the same team as played this season, and the team that played this season, I'd be very confident, will not be the same team as plays next season. So, you know, and, and also, everyone regarded the position they were in a year ago, and, and I, I didn't want this to get lost in the melee of all the other unhappiness. That was totally unacceptable for the club. I mean, Anne Bunge admits that. They should never, ever have been anywhere near that position. That was bad mismanagement on the football side of the club. So so they just shouldn't have been, they shouldn't have been there because they were, the, the, the team wasn't managed properly or the team wasn't good enough. But, but that doesn't mean, you know, that's where they're going to be just because. That, no, that was I, a... I don't think it'll take much to finish third in the league next season. That might be Hibs, it might be Aberdeen. Um, whoever it is, it, it may be us because promoted teams have got a, a pretty good yeah. record um, of, of staying in the division and, depending on who they are, flourishing. But I think you're right. I think the standard, um, regardless of what happened when, when we went down the season before um, this one, Rangers and, and Celtic, I mean, Rangers are clearly ahead of Celtic right now. Celtic are, are a fair bit ahead of everyone else. I don't think there's much separating Aberdeen and Hibs and St. Johnston and Livingston and then Kilmarnock and Motherwell. I think a well-run, well-structured and well... Um, or, or a club that, that has good recruitment. I think third place... Not Hearts. Well... <laughs> so nothing has happened. If they were, I, I, I don't want to go from... We were shite last season. We've, not, we've underperformed this season. To, I don't want to fall into that trap. That's what I was trying to talk to you about, the whole blinker. I'm just saying, whichever team, if you get your house in order and you recruit well and you do things well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be top six challenging for... I mean, look at it. Next season, what is it, like 713 Scottish clubs qualify for Europe or something in the 46 European competition? I mean, huge opportunities. That's a great opportunity. That's why they have to sort themselves out. That's a, that's a huge motivation. The other, the other thing, sorry, for next season, and this is a slight tangent, is I really, really hope John Souter remains fit plays every week and, and becomes the player he should be. And it's been fantastic over the last couple of weeks to see him back. And, he, and touch with him, touching my head here. He looks, um, he doesn't look like a guy who hasn't played for 
What did he not play for? How many months? 405 days. There you are. He, doesn't, he actually doesn't look like that at all. No. He's back playing the, the way we remember, breaking forward with the ball, trying to make passes, strong defensively. I've got everything crossed at John because he's had such bad luck. I mean, if he didn't have bad luck, he would have none at all. And, and if he'd remained fit, it's fair to say he wouldn't still be playing at heart. So I really hope over the next 12 months, he just stays fit, stays in the team and gets all the recognition he's, he's due, both as a footballer and, a, and as a guy because he's, he's widely known in the club as a fantastic guy. Amen. Here, here. Um, that's a good positive note to end things on. While you were talking, I have genuinely put um, a, a calendar notification in my Google Calendar for the 22nd of April 2022, <laughs> uh, which has got a, a one week a one week alert, which says you and Murray has predicted Hearts will be chasing a European spot at this point. See episode 130 of Scarves Around the Funnel. So yeah, well, 130. Wow. So we'll we'll. And where 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 were we on episode one? Remind everyone. Top of the Premiership. Clear by about five points. Yeah. So it's your fault. Yeah, we've we've covered this. We've covered this. <laughs> we've covered this. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Ewan. Um, it's it's, it's a been, pleasure. It's been good to speak to you. How much longer have you got left of your your isolation? Well, twenty four hours. Just twenty four hours. Ah, fine. I've got a few other podcasts I can I can leap onto between now and then. Yeah, get to Tank Castle on Saturday. Sure, you can make up some I'm excuse. Doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing a breaking one actually. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear! Live from live from Glee Park, the relegation countdown. Um, <laughs> by, by the way, he's still one of the best followers on Twitter. You and Murray, I love him. The the content on social media, from the wind ups to the the dry. <laughs> And, and you don't give a fuck what other people I think. I know you're more reckless than me with social media. You, you, I mean, even Craig Burley over here at ESPN has referenced the fact, oh, Ewan's having fun today with these fish and <laughs> Yes, you can follow him at Mr. Ewan Murray. Yeah. If you, if, you took it, if you took it seriously, you'd never go anywhere, really. No one's, well no one's approached me in a pub and headbutted me or punched me on account of it. So Because the pubs have been shut. That's true. That's true. <laughs> And, but until that happens, I'll, ca- I'll carry on regardless. You can also follow us at Around the Funnel on Twitter, or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. We'll be back next week to talk about something, maybe Inverness, maybe, I don't know, who knows. We'll, we'll think of something. Anyway, um, from all of us, goodbye. I've been pissing in the wind. I chanced a foolish grin And dribbled on my chin Now the ground shifts beneath my feet The faces that I greet Never know my name Just give me something Take nothing Just give me something I'll take nothing Now the drought Is crippled by the rain It hammers on my 
ourselves again But all we need is to find a place to look Our worm is on its hook A love which then goes free Let's watch it swing against the water's flow Courage grows with no guarantee. Just give me something. I'll take nothing. Just give me something. I'll take nothing. Catches snail, a strong heart will prevail. It keeps on. Burning.